Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's show is on long COVID to it, and we've got two great experts with us today that will be sharing their thoughts about it. We've got a great crew that always puts our, our shows in really good, good shape, and they include Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Sheridan Nygaard, Deandra Howard, and Matthew Campbell. Thanks to all of you guys. They either are involved in research for the background for the show or marketing or production. So it's a, a great, wonderful crew. And thank you very, very, very much. Clarence Jones is my my partner in crime on this show. It's a great, great honor to work with him. Well, these episodes, this is episode 68, which is amazing. We've been at it that long. So Clarence, it's always great. So thank you. And then of course there's Human Partnership, which is a community organization involved in health issues in our community. They're a great organization. They help sponsor our our health chatter broadcast for you, the listening audience, to thank you to them. You can check them out at humanpartnership.org, O-R-G. So thank you to everybody. So, all right. Uh, today, we have two great guests, colleagues of mine that um, I have worked with for a long time, uh, Jay Desai and uh, Kate Murray. Jay heads up the is a chronic disease epidemiologist at the Minnesota Department of Health. He uh, received his doctorate in epi, epidemiology from the University of Minnesota, currently leads the Minnesota Department of Health long COVID program, along with other things, sickle cell data collection, Minnesota cancer reporting system, et cetera. He's been involved in a lot of things. I worked with Jay when he was at the health department on his first round, when he was involved with the uh, the diabetes unit, and we, we were great, great colleagues. Um, I've, I've always been impressed with Jay because somehow or other, he always asks the good, hard question. And uh, that we don't always have the answers, but at, at any rate, he always asks some really great questions. So thanks, Jay, for being with us. Kate Murray, Program Manager for Long COVID and Post-COVID Conditions at the Minnesota Department of Health. Uh, she, she spent a long time dealing with uh, with COVID when at the Department of Health, a 20-month assignment um, at the Department of Health when everything was going kind of crazy and everything was, there were a lot of, lot of things to do for sure. She holds a master in public health and administration and policy from the University of Minnesota and a bachelor of science in biology and health sciences from South Dakota State University. So I want to thank you both sincerely for uh, for being on Health Chatter. Um, so I'm going to start this off by by asking this simple question: Long COVID. So here we go. It's like I don't understand why we don't have long flu, long cold, long um, allergies, long whatever. So what is this deal with long? What what is it just something that was dubbed for um, for COVID? 
or what's what's the deal here? Where did this long idea come from? Because you know, people get sick and they have these symptoms afterwards on a lot of different, a variety of different diseases and entities. But why long specifically for COVID? And do either one of you have an idea on that one? Yeah, that's a great question, Stan. And actually, this is not a new phenomenon. There is long flu. There is oh, long there is infections. okay, yeah. So. Uh, post-infectious acute uh, infection chronic disease is not is not uh, unique to COVID. Uh, in fact, a lot of the communities of folks who were disabled after things like influenza or other SARS viruses, uh, MERS, uh, a lot of viruses and some bacterial infections can uh, result in these chronic diseases. So these advocacy groups, when the pandemic started, were the first to say, hey, you need to keep an eye out for these long-term impacts of this virus, especially as kind of a novel virus new to our bodies. And indeed, it looks like some of the earliest waves of COVID were uh, resulted in some of the, the uh, biggest waves of long COVID as well. Uh, we are still seeing it with the more quote unquote milder variants like Omicron. But again, it's it's not a new, a new phenomenon. But because of just the magnitude of infections and the number of people who have been impacted and even disabled by this, it's getting more attention than it, than it has ever before. So this idea of long is not new, but maybe it, it's more in front of our faces just because of what, what COVID did for, for all of us. All right. So Jay, kick this off. What exactly is long COVID? Oh my, that's that's the question that we're still trying to figure out, right? And so there are a couple of definitions that get used out there. Uh, one is by the CDC, um, and it is a definition of uh, people still experiencing symptoms after a COVID infection. So you have to have had COVID uh, four weeks or longer after a COVID infection. So after the acute phase and those symptoms, there's a whole variety of symptoms that we can get into that. Yeah. Into that later. I mean, there's probably over 200 different symptoms that have been reported wow. and, and some are more common than others. The things that you hear about loss of taste, loss of smell, brain fog, fatigue are some of the uh, more common ones that you hear, but there's still a variety of uh, symptoms. Um, so that's, you know, four weeks or longer is the CDC's definition. The World Health Organization has a definition of uh, 12 weeks or longer. So about three months. Mm. Um where the symptoms are persistent uh, for that length. So in general, um, those are sort of the predominant um, definitions of long COVID, of what, what we'd be looking for. Um, but again, it is a, a symptom-based condition right now. There isn't a biologic test that you can take that tells you whether you have it or not. It's just how these different symptoms present and how long they last. So who tells you, in other words, and, and I'll talk about that because I have one of them and, and it, it, it's an interesting one. Clarence, go ahead. Yeah. So I'd just like to, I'd like to go back again, Jay, to what you was trying to talk about, some of the symptoms of, of uh, long COVID. Uh, you know, uh, so when you get COVID, can you tell the difference? Can you tell if you're going to have uh, just regular COVID or long term COVID? Um, you know, some of the symptoms that you have during the acute phase, uh, so within four weeks after being infected, um, some of those continue to persist um, beyond those four weeks or even beyond the three months. Um, so often those symptoms can be very similar. 
Um, and But then they, there could be symptoms that come up that you didn't have during the acute phase as well. Uh, and so that's what also makes it kind of challenging as you could have some new symptoms that are presenting um, or that just you begin paying attention to and recognizing after your acute symptoms have gone away that you've still got some of these lingering things like fatigue um, that you don't expect to have. So, um, so they can be similar. They just carry on. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, let me go a little bit further. I think uh, a lot of people during this period of time um, didn't get COVID, but they had some, some other kind of strange things happening during this period of time. Were there other other uh, viruses that came up during this period that we, we don't talk about as much? I mean, so, go ahead, Kate. Certainly, some people we know had co-infections with influenza and COVID. We also know there were probably a lot of people who did have COVID and maybe didn't get it confirmed by a test, either because you know, testing wasn't available. They didn't have access mm -hmm. to testing. Maybe they tested once with a rapid antigen test, but it was too early for their viral load to actually be detected. So mm -hmm. we do hear of a lot of people who are saying, well, I've got these complications, these issues that are happening, but I haven't had COVID, but I did right. have this really bad cough and respiratory infection and it just went on for weeks, you know? So um, that is one of the trickiest pieces, as Jay said, you know, one of the only things we know for sure about long COVID is that you had to have had a COVID infection first. And it can be really hard to actually confirm and measure who has had COVID at this point, plus reinfections. You know, people are getting COVID two, three more times at this point. Yeah. And, and you know, this is a concern that is probably going to be growing as we aren't testing as often. Uh, and so people are going to be feeling these symptoms, right? They may be mild, moderate, may even be asymptomatic. Uh, but could still be related to COVID. We're just not testing for them anymore. Uh, and so just trying to be more aware that if you feel bad at some point and then it continues that maybe there was something uh, COVID related that happened. So let's talk about testing a little bit because you know I certainly remember when I was at the health department, all the different types of, of testing, everything from the tests not being available yet to tests where you would go to a clinic or a particular site, all the way down to, you know, at-home at home tests. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that really was curious to me was, you know, access. You know, this whole, this whole idea of access to the tests. You know, like I remember, you know, schlepping to the airport, because you know, my wife and I, we had to get over to Israel because of a family member had passed away. We had to, and oh my God, the testing that we had to go through before traveling, and then when we were there, and then before we came back. And I also remember, and this is me talking now. I I also remember at the very very front end of COVID, I had a cough that I swear to God, it must have lasted forever. It just seemed like it would not go away. And this is before it re COVID really started hitting the scene, so to speak. And so, so now I reflect back and I'm thinking, wow, might, might I have had it back then? 
All right, so let's let's talk about long COVID as it relates to testing. Okay, so it's like, for instance, if if I were to have long COVID, should I continue to test every once in a while just to see if I'm harboring anything? Or should I just go with the flow at this point? That's a good question. And there are still questions uh, around sort of persistent positive tests, because we know that for some folks, there's a window where it seems like it's resolved, but they're testing positive still. That said, uh, we are seeing one of the going theories for long COVID is viral persistence. Now, particularly in the gut and in some other tissues where it might not even necessarily be replicating, but those proteins are still causing an immune response. And this inflammation and kind of over response may be what's causing some of these subtypes of long COVID. So in terms of testing, I mean, you may not be still able to spread the infection if you know it's it's gotten better but i know that some of the the guidelines for when to test and when to stop testing have have shifted okay so kate so for our listening audience if you have symptoms of you know any of the symptoms we'll get into that in a, in a moment here any of the symptoms of long covid but you're over that acute stage is it fair to say that you are not contagious? I don't know if we know the answer to that yet. I think interesting. From, okay. You know, I most people with long COVID do not generate enough virus that they could infect other people. It's interesting they've experimented with even like COVID sniffing dogs and they have found that these dogs can detect COVID in people with long COVID, but they test negative at that point. So they're not producing enough virus to spread the infection, but there's still some reaction going on inside their body. And indeed these dogs are picking up on it as well. Yeah. Well, my dog has not picked up on it for sure. <laughs> okay. Clarence, go ahead. So, you know, this is really kind of an overwhelming topic. Okay. Let me tell you why, because Jay has already said, Kate, you probably too have said you got over 200 symptoms you know, that that would indicate this. And, and you know, with so much going on, I mean, it, it seems like, well, even if a bump comes up on my nose, I mean, I should be testing for COVID. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you, know, you know you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it gets to be very, very overwhelming. And so my my question to you, you know, and very simply, and I come, and I come from a community perspective is, you know, really, what should we be doing? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? We, we know that it, that it exists. We know that it impacts us. I mean, what should we really be doing? I mean, there's so much fake news going out here. You know, it's good to hear from you. What we, you know, bottom line, kind of sort of what we should do. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that is what people always ask, like, well, then what? If I think I have this or if I test positive for COVID, what should I be doing? And one, we do hope people keep testing because it okay. is to confirm if you have a COVID infection or not and to tell a provider that you've tested positive so they can put it in your medical record. Uh, but also then just keeping an eye on symptoms as you recover. And if you have what seems like symptoms of long COVID to talk to a provider if you can, because of like this nebulous nature of long COVID, you know, a lot of these symptoms overlap with other chronic conditions. And so it is important that a provider rule out other things like 
know, diabetes or a thyroid issue or something else going on as well. I think the most extreme dramatic case of that we've heard was somebody who uh, thought they had long COVID and kind of avoided care, but then it turned out to be a brain tumor. So you don't want to miss something really serious that's going on underneath if you're having these symptoms. And also, you know, providers are still learning about long COVID. Um, you know, MDH is really trying to help uh, spread the word about long COVID, including to providers. But there are providers out there who can help uh, manage and even relieve some of the symptoms of long COVID. Um, there are some medications, different therapies, even changes in diet that people can do that can help alleviate some of the symptoms or just learn to manage them better and figure out how they can still thrive while they're having these symptoms. So really just to believe that this is a real thing and take it seriously. And particularly, you know, if you find yourself struggling with this brain fog or fatigue uh, to seek care, but also to seek support. So for a lot of people, you know, help with childcare or household tasks, potentially workplace accommodations can really be a game changer for them as they recover. Because one of the other tricky parts of this too, and you, you know, alluded to this with the definition is that it's very nebulous and there probably are going to be a lot of people who get COVID or some other infection, and it's going to take them several weeks or maybe even a few months to get all the way better, but they may ultimately eventually return to baseline health. Um, there is a subset of folks who is who are being disabled by these infections and their symptoms. They may even seem like the acute infection resolves and they start having these new symptoms several weeks or even a few months later. And that's kind of this, it used to be called chronic fatigue syndrome. They now call it myalgic encephalomyelitis or ME-CFS. Uh, for those folks, their symptoms do not get better and they may even get worse to the point of disability. And what can hasten that trajectory is trying to push through those symptoms and trying to return to normal, go back to your exercise routine, you know, we've got, we see this in a lot of overachievers, frankly, uh, they try to push through it and then they end up getting worse and worse. So um, definitely just pay attention and take it seriously. Stay up to date on your vaccinations um, and then seek that care and support if you need it. So, all right. So here's a personal story. So for listening to audience, I, my wife and I both got COVID when, when we were on vacation up in, in Alaska. And, um, you know, of course, you got to go through the whole the whole nine yards of isolating and, and, and that whole thing. For my wife, she got she got over it. Now, that, that was it for me. I lost my sense of taste and smell. OK, so now at first I asked myself, well, geez, you know, this isn't so unusual because I have allergies too, you know, and sometimes when you have allergies, you can't always smell really well or, or, or taste very well, but now it's been, it's been lingering on. And it's an interesting phenomena because you still feel hungry. Okay. You have, you know, you, you want to eat, but you know, you could be eating, you know, garbage for all that matter because you can't taste anything okay there are certain things though um you know for those of you who might be suffering from this there are certain things that have a tendency to help lemon drops believe it or not because it has a, a stronger taste to it um helps and it also helps to create uh, more saliva 
And um, also, ironically, I can taste pickles of all things. You know, so between lemon drops and pickles, I'm having a really hell of a good time. But it is, for those of you who have these these particulars, it is getting better. It's slow, but it's getting better. The other thing that I've noticed, and this would be something to maybe look into, is what your brain remembers. Like my brain remembers a good chocolate bar. It really remembers that. And so even though I might not taste it, you know, physically per se, when I chomp down on a good chocolate bar, I can kind of taste it because I think my brain is telling me what I should remember. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it works hand in, in hand with these things. The one thing you have to be careful of though, with um, uh, certainly with taste and smell is if you can't smell uh, for sure, it's like if all of a sudden you have a gas leak or something in your home, you have to be really careful. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't smell that. Um, okay. Clarence, take yeah, it away. I, then Jay, yeah. I want to talk to you about research. Okay. Um, is there a certain demographic that ex that is experiencing long COVID more than other people? Um, well, Remember I think when COVID first came out, you know, it was a lot of the older people they got, you know, they got it, right. and they died, those kind of things. But now with long COVID, is there a demographical shift or is it the same or is it all over the board? What, what, what do you say? Experience, experience? Uh, well, so, um, Everybody can get COVID, right? So people talk about COVID is just like the flu, but it's not like the flu, right? The flu and some of those other respiratory viruses tend to impact young, you know, much younger children and much older adults, people whose immune system is probably not fully developed or compromised. COVID affects all age ranges. Um, and in, in, perhaps in different ways because of underlying mechanisms. So the, you know, the working age adults are also the ones who, are really feeling it. We don't, with long COVID, you know, there may be symptoms in younger children, um, but we don't see a lot of that. Um, but we do see it within adolescents. So people who are 11, 12 and, and going on up, um, they tend to recover uh, more quickly, but some of them can still be really impacted, particularly those um, who are involved in different kinds of sports activities, really need to be careful and pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, generally speaking, I would say, yes, it impacts everybody across the ages, but some okay. may have uh, more significant impacts, um, probably also because of the kind of activities they do and the work that they do. Um, and I, and, and I want to get back a little bit um, to the question about symptoms and that there's a lot of different symptoms. As Kate mentioned, really the key is um, not ignoring you know, not trying to ignore that if you're feeling more tired than usual, if you maybe can't concentrate that, you know, really paying attention to that and those symptoms and and talking to your doctor about those, because often people don't because they might be more mild or moderate, but they are still impactful on your everyday life. So so paying attention to those. All right. So so Kate. <laughs> Chime in here a little bit, okay? Because I I know that you've been involved with this, you know, with everything public health oriented wise and the response to it wise. So chime in here on, all right, what is it that the, the essence of what we really need to know around this whole thing at this point? 
Well, I did want to follow up a little bit on Clarence's question, uh, if I may, sure. and just acknowledge that, you know, we know the pandemic had a disproportionate impact across communities for certain types of long COVID people who have underlying conditions may be more susceptible to long-term complications. So there is a big equity piece that we think this is really kind of at the, the intersection of. It's interesting, we've heard anecdotally from a lot of our providers who work at the long COVID specialty centers that they are serving a very homogenous group of patients by and large. It's sort of the better educated, wealthy kind of suburban white folks who probably have more access to those resources. We do not think it's because they are being uniquely impacted by long COVID. We just know we are missing a lot of the folks who are being impacted by this. So that is part of why awareness is just a, a big priority for us because we know this is happening across communities, uh, but because it's unfamiliar, because of various stigmas around disability and how it's hard to talk about, maybe if your abilities have shifted, we're probably missing a lot of people. But we're certainly interested in understanding better how long COVID is impacting different communities across our state. I appreciate that because I think that part of um, what, what you just said was that for a lot of folks, and I think some, you one of you mentioned this before, a lot of people are so interested in just pushing through it. You know, it's just like, well, you know, life is tough anyway. You know, so I mean, I'm already, I'm already feeling fog brain. You know, you know, just, just those kinds of things. But in, 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 in terms of experiencing those things, you know, we want to know that if we are experiencing those things, is it, it, it can we, can we spread it? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's we just don't know. And I think that that's what's good about this conversation is that we're just chatting about this and we understand the uncertainty about a lot of stuff. I mean, you, you talk about a lot of things that, you know, even now you're uncertain about or we're uncertain about or the scientists are uncertain about. And it's good to be able to say that. Absolutely. We, we are learning a lot every week. Even there's more research coming out. There's still a lot that we don't know and definitely want to be real about that so that we aren't saying, oh, we're sure that this is this is the cause or this is the trajectory and then we have to change that. So Jay, you I you know, grants, you know, so you know, I, I don't know where the grants are coming from to like the Department of Health. Are they CDC oriented grants or NIH or both? Um, but my question is what are the questions that we are really, really focusing on on the front end here, research-wise, and hopefully getting some answers. So like in the research that the, the two of you are involved in right now, what's, I guess, what are the defining questions? Because apparently there are a lot of them, but what are the defining questions for the grants and the research that you guys are doing? Um, so, you know, there's, they're, they're similar for a lot of things, right? First of all, can we even, is there even a clinical definition? Can we even identify what long COVID truly is? And, you know, we gave you a definition uh, that was time-based between right. GDC Four and months or whatever, yeah. But other than that, it's really broad because there's so many different symptoms. There's just so much we don't know. Uh, and so since we don't really have a clear clinical definition, or from a public health perspective, what we call a definition where we can monitor it on a population base, 
basis, we also don't have a solid sense of what's the real burden of long COVID in our communities. You know, we hear numbers ranging from anywhere from 5% to 30% of people may be experiencing these longer term types of post COVID symptoms. Um, but, you know, from a researcher perspective, that depends on the kind of study that was done, who you're, the population you're studying. I mean, there's all kinds of other factors so that, that since, and since there's not a test, we just don't have a clear idea of what the real burden is yet. So we're still working on that. So that's the first question. The second question is, what is the underlying cause? You know, what's going on with long COVID? And, you know, Kate can talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, right now there's at least three different kinds of, it may be multiple things going on, multiple underlying causes. Um, and so it's not just one thing, right? We know that it gets triggered by COVID with the infection, but it could cause different pathways within the body that lead to different symptoms. Um, and so we're trying to tease that out. The providers that we work with are trying to tease that out because then it gets on to the next question. What do you do about it? Yeah. Right. And um, and so that so those that's the next question. And right now, you know, you have to understand sort of the cause. Right now you're treating symptoms uh, that people are having and using methods to treat different symptoms. And so um, there's still a lot. We don't have a cure or anything like that for long COVID yet. So that's where research is going on too, trying to figure out what kinds of treatments are out there that can maybe minimize the symptoms that people are are feeling um, and 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 help it go away, you know, other than at least for the beginning part, making sure people rest and those kinds of things. But um, so there's these research questions that you're talking about that are driving interest. Um, we don't have answers to those yet. We're still working on that, trying to figure some of those pieces out. So this gets back, Clarence, to your uh, comment about transparency and just being honest about what we know and what we don't know. Yeah, uh, when yeah. we're talking about this. I appreciate that. Let me ask. Let me do a follow up question. Uh, the uh, long COVID versus the vaccination rates. Okay, people that have that are, that are experiencing long COVID. Uh, how many? vaccines that they take or do they is it i mean do people that have taken less vaccine get long COVID more than people that have taken more vaccines i mean i don't know i'm just i'm just trying to figure it out i mean we have to five i think we have to five vaccines now right so if you get five maybe you won't get it i don't know but i'm just but those are the kind of questions people are going to ask like well if i take enough vaccines then i won't get it you know what i mean so can you help me yeah. help me Certainly the, the prevention piece is, of course, for public health. So that is top of mind. Um, and evidence continues to emerge indicating that vaccination is protective against long COVID. It's not a, a magic bullet. It is not 100%. Uh, if you're up to date on your boosters, you're definitely not going to have long COVID. But it does show to have some protective factors. And the biggest uh, waves of long COVID that we see are from the time before there were vac vaccines available. Uh, so uh, several studies have come out even in the last few months showing that having those boosters is important as well. And it's really unvaccinated folks and folks who maybe only had one or two vaccines uh, are having more long-term complications. So that is definitely one of the best tools in our toolbox to prevent long COVID is to continue staying up to date on vaccinations. Thank you. So do you think that, you know, it, 
you know, from a prevention standpoint, vaccinations hopefully will prevent you from getting it. Or if you do get it, your your case hopefully will not lend itself to you being hospitalized or, or the severity of it would be reduced significantly. Do you anticipate that vaccines down the pike will um, focus on some of these symptoms that we're seeing for long COVID as well and put that, put those, whatever they're able to do into the vaccine so that not only can you prevent from getting it, but if you do get it, you're not going to have a, a, a severe case and hopefully you won't experience some of the uh, the long COVID um experiences and use me as a guinea pig for god's sakes i mean you know i've been up to date on vaccines in the whole nine yards i get COVID. okay fortunately it wasn't severe in my estimation and but yet i have long COVID, a long COVID symptom so i'm i'm, I'm just wondering might the research lend itself to preventing the disease altogether, or and if you get it, mild and addressing symptoms. Do you think that that's down the pike, or who knows? You know, I think actually reformulating the vaccine to prevent long COVID, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the direction. You're right that it definitely can help reduce that severe infection, which will help reduce your chance of long-term complications. But there may be other means of prevention, and there are some clinical trials and other researchers exploring this, but things like Paxlovid during the acute infection may be protective against long-term complications. There have been some other studies showing potentially metformin during the acute infection can help prevent long COVID. So there are some other pieces in terms of treatment um, that may be protective as well. And that is one more reason why it's good to keep testing and keep those like rapid tests on hand because that can, uh, you know, help increase access to those treatments and talk to a provider. Yeah, yeah. Clarence? I want to ask this question. So there are a lot of people that are not dealing with COVID or long COVID, right? I mean, they just, they just taking it through. What are the health issues that will emerge besides death uh, for people that don't address this issue, because you know, you know, I, I, I'm I'm telling you, there's still people there that say the fake news and all this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, and so what? You know, by not by not addressing this issue, not being you know open about it, you know, what are some of the major issues that will emerge, uh, health issues that will emerge as a result of not taking care of this issue? Besides death. <laughs> Well, we do see, and Jay, feel free to tack on, uh, you know, again, these these many symptoms that can crop up. One tricky thing about long COVID is that it's really an umbrella term that covers not only these symptoms, but some people will use it to describe other conditions that crop up after a COVID infection. So we are seeing some hints that people may be uh, more susceptible to developing diabetes after a COVID infection. Mm-hmm. Um, There may be other kidney issues, dementia. We also don't know the long-term consequences of of COVID infection. You know, you think of something like chickenpox later resulting in something like shingles or how polio 
10 years later could have these chronic disease impacts. So we don't know what those really long-term impacts of the COVID virus are yet. Um, and also just from you know, a non-clinical standpoint, there's research around some of the economic and just quality of life issues that people may experience uh, if they have complications after COVID. So we know that for some people it's decreasing their quality of life. Stan, I'd argue you could be one of those people you know, losing your sense of smell and taste, that that erodes your quality of life. Uh, for people who just don't quite get back to baseline health, that impacts things like the economy, ultimately. We know a lot of people with long COVID lose their jobs or have to reduce their work hours. That mm -hmm. impacts, you know, your wages and lost wages. And then finally, there's also just healthcare costs. You see people having more healthcare expenditures after a COVID infection. So there's also that impact and potentially people just needing more care down the road. So it is from, you know, there's the individual level, but then we can also think of it on kind of a systems and a societal level um, and even potentially impacting the global economy. Those estimates from Harvard are in the trillions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I think one of the symptoms that I I've noticed is that I'm adverse to mowing the lawn. It's like that that just it just came out of nowhere. You yeah, know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you still walk Murphy though. You still walk Murphy. You know, so yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. You Jay. know, I, I would um, you know, Kate actually read my mind when she was talking about some of these other economic issues, and and we need to pay attention to those on an individual level also. Um, you know, if you are experiencing some of these you know, within uh, uh, shortly after the acute infection, some of these issues around not being able to think about getting tired and, and you're pushing through it because you have to work, right? We have certain populations that, that can't afford not to work. They don't exactly. have paid leave, right? right. And, um, and, and so, but they go and by the end of the day, they're just exhausted or even in their work, it could be dangerous, right? If you're not thinking straight anymore. Um, and so you do need to pay attention to that. And we're working you know, to help uh, providers recognize that too, because then you may need some documentation to work with your employer to get some accommodations, whether it's shorter hours, some breaks, some other things, right? These are real life issues that people are experiencing some of these symptoms, even though they may resolve after a while, during that short-term period, these are still significant things they have to take care of. Um, and then and then for the long-term stuff, as, as Kate knows, because we get testimonies from people writing into us all the time. Um, there are people who just have to stop working, period. The disability is so bad uh, because of this. Um, that That's a whole nother group, you know, who are severely impacted that we have to think about how do we support them um, clinically and, and at home uh, moving forward. I don't know, Kate may have more to add to that. Yeah, and that group is, again, not a new phenomenon. Folks have experienced this after influenza as well, but it is a debilitating fatigue or even flu-like symptoms that crop up after any physical exertion or even mental and emotional exertion. Some people have what's called POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, meaning every time you change positions, your heart rate skyrockets and your blood pressure drops, and you can even get dizzy to the point of fainting. Um, so that's a result of your autonomic nervous system um, having dysfunction. And that could be 
um, you know, damage from this ongoing inflammation from the virus. We're still understanding some of kind of those underlying mechanisms, as Jay mentioned, but these are really debilitating conditions. And so uh, that's definitely of interest to us, that whole group of folks who have been largely ignored uh, or even dismissed by the medical establishment and really not part of public health so much, um, we cannot ignore them any longer. And whatever the next pandemic is going to be, because you know there's going to be another one in some of our lifetimes, this is going to come up again. Yeah. yeah. So let me do this real quick. This is just to satisfy my curiosity, okay? Uh, what are some of the ongoing studies around uh, long COVID? I mean, I'm just interested in, in what, what, what's being studied about it. You mean for like, are you talking more the clinical side of things? I'm talking about that. Yeah, we're going to get more clinical. We're not going to get out just for some of the researchy kind of things. There's so, so much know. out there. It's, it's, I know, I know. It's, just a couple, just yeah. a couple of NIH had over a billion dollars allocated for the recover studies, which okay. uh, are kind of three part. They're doing observational studies of sort of the trajectory after COVID infection, but also looking at those underlying biological mechanisms. And there are several kind of going theories. It's probably kind of a both and for some of these because long COVID is not just one condition. So yes, they're trying yes. to understand the viral persistence or the inflammation. Um, for some folks, it's kind of, it's more like an autoimmune disorder. It seems to trigger the immune system to attack the body. There's theories around microclots. Um, so they're trying to find those potential causes, but then also exploring some treatments for hopefully not just symptoms, but as Jay mentioned, more upstream, what are the actual causes? So some clinical trials going on as well. Um, there are folks who are looking at things like the economic impact, the workforce impact, um, impact on quality of life and disability claims. And from a public health perspective, as mentioned, we're just really interested in seeing how this is impacting communities and people after their COVID infection. You know, um, one thing that's really struck me is um, the effect that that COVID overall has had on our our lifestyles. So think about just how we go about doing work now. Okay, we're not we're not interacting in person. I mean, everything you know, a good portion is done via you know um, zoom for instance and i just wonder whether or not that might be studied as well the the social impact that uh covid in the long term um has on has or will have on on all of us going forward there are occupations that obviously require person to person contact but, um, you know, it's like if I were at the health department now and if I had a question, you know, for, for either one of you, I just, you know, it'd be nice to just be able to, you know, run over to your office and say, hey, you know, J.A.K., what do you think? That doesn't exist or it doesn't exist in the same way. And I just wonder whether or not long COVID will address that type of thing as well. So, Stan, I, I, you know, what you're bringing up is probably a podcast in and of itself. Absolutely. <laughs> talking about how people are, you know, being, you know, the whole um, 
hybrid teleworking situation and how that's impacting whatever yeah. on so many different uh levels uh not just sort of the the biologic level um and uh so yeah that I, that's that's a great podcast topic um and, yeah and 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 there probably isn't a lot to talk about yet because we don't know the answers yet <laughs> well you know i mean we talk about stuff right i mean when we were young growing up and starting our careers it was having those mentors that you could be in person with. It was your colleagues that were young like you that you would start networking with, right? All that kind of stuff is changing. Yeah. In terms yeah. of, you know, the role of long COVID in that, I, you know, I'm not, that, I think that's kind of a separate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, you know, how COVID has changed our health behaviors, I think, and how that might impact long COVID. Um as, as you mentioned earlier, we still are struggling with this idea of um, misinformation around COVID, um, difference access and awareness within particular communities, um, issues uh, ar- around um, whether people should get vaccinated or not, right? So those kinds of things that have come up um, because of the COVID pandemic, um, we're still trying to figure out how to address those and what the impact of that is going to be on long COVID, right? If people aren't getting vaccinated, if people can't go in uh, not only to get tested, but to get vaccinated and then to perhaps even talk to a provider about this where even providers may not be fully aware of what's going on with long COVID. I think those are all things that, um, and then, and then COVID fatigue, all right. The pandemic fatigue, um, all these things are significant public health and individual level issues that we have to combat and that could um, result in, you know, more long COVID than there needs to be, right? More COVID than there needs to be, more long yeah. COVID than there needs to be, unless we can start um, figuring out ways to bring it back into people's frame that it's still a significant issue um, just because it's not as um not as much COVID going on as there used to be. It's still there and it's not going yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, thought was, um, I thought it was interesting when you talked about COVID fatigue, it just kind of, you know, in my mind, it just went two different places. Yeah. We, we do have fatigue from COVID, but we also are fatigued by all the COVID information. Right. You know, you know so it's like, man, you know, at, at some point, like, you know, let me just die. I don't know. I'm not that, that die, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> let me just, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, 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 but I, but I think I think it's important to, to to continuously try to find ways to engage people in in a in a positive uh, information so that they can understand how important and how vital this information is. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there's still there's still things that came out of the pandemic that we're slowing down mm-hmm. on, right? We're we're behaving as if we did before the pandemic, not exactly. recognizing that, you know, this might be the season when everybody's getting together and big family get togethers or going out to concerts or events. Um, and, you know, you might want to think twice about some of that still. Um, right. The idea of masking, if not, you know, for others, at least, you know, well, for others, right. If you feel like you're getting sick or something, staying away from others, masking, you know, those things are still going to be helpful. Um, but we're not really thinking about that stuff as much anymore. And from a long COVID perspective, those are things that can help reduce or prevent the onset of more long, you know, COVID and then long COVID. 
Stan, you're on mute. <laughs> I put it on mute because Murphy was barking. Um, uh, so here's an important thing for all of us. It's we as human beings don't get sick just from COVID or we don't continue to get sick because of, of, of just because of long COVID. We get sick from other things too, okay? And we shouldn't um, ignore those things. You know, I certainly was was aware of that, you know, working in the cardiovascular unit. It's like, you know, people didn't show up at the emergency room with, you know, potential stroke or, or heart attack because they were they were thinking that, you know, I don't want to get close to anybody who's got COVID. But we as human beings get sick from other things too. What I think is encouraging I mean, there's always a silver lining here. You know, for years and years, when you work in the health department, there's kind of like the infectious disease unit is over here and the chronic disease unit is over here, right? And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, they're great colleagues, but you don't talk that much, okay? This would be perhaps a way that we really do talk um, because COVID certainly has implications uh, if you're diabetic or if you have heart disease or chronic disease, it can complicate that. Mm -hmm. And so this might be a true opportunity to really link all the different health entities that we deal with together and, you know, <laughs> use COVID as the excuse. I don't care, but, you know, maybe, you know, the time has come that, that we do do that. Um, you know, Stan, you know, let me say this real quick. You know, uh, Jay, when you were introduced, uh, Stan said you were, you know, you were the you were epidemiologist, and I couldn't spell that word for a long, long time anyway. Uh, but you know, you uh, chronic diseases. How is this? You know, so you said sickle cell. I mean, you just started. You know, Stan missed a whole lot of things that you that, that are underneath your your uh, your leadership. Uh, how has it affected those issues or those diseases? Is there anything that has emerged uh, that that you want to? I mean, that that you can talk about any particular disease? Well, not not a, a a disease in particular. You know, I mean, we did mention earlier that it looks like um, the virus itself may be impacting issues around diabetes, uh, mm. blood pressure, kidney disease, stroke. Kate mentioned microclots potentially. Yeah. But what it, what it has done, and, and then a lot of these other conditions, obviously, cancer asthma, uh, diabetes, blood pressure, um, sickle cell disease, you know, these are all conditions, chronic conditions that make you more susceptible to infection and yeah. to other things, right? So there's more, hopefully more attention to that, right? One of the things for diabetes has always been getting an annual flu shot and getting a pneumonia uh, vaccination on a more regular basis, but people don't do it even though you know it's an issue so maybe covid can help raise the profile of can is going to be added <laughs> to that correct group. correct um but what it has allowed i do think both in our public health world is to have more conversations uh across conversations around the relationships between chronic disease and infectious disease mm -hmm. post infectious disease um and so i think there's a real opportunity for us to to grow that kind of connection moving forward um, and by the same token, I think that's going to be happening within, you know, hopefully the healthcare provider system too, because, yeah. you know, that's still just as we are in public health, when you're looking at something like an infectious disease, you're not necessarily thinking about other chronic conditions or potentially longer term chronic conditions, but now you need to.
Um, So I'm not sure that that's, you know, there's obvious changes yet, but I can see it as an opportunity to grow some of the more collaborative, more thinking about that together uh, moving in the future. You know, I never, I never heard heard the connection between the shots that you mentioned and diabetes. Oh, to get I've, never, I've never heard that. I mean, I think that's 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 quite interesting information for me. Yeah, and you know, I, I started working in diabetes in 1995, and it was a recommendation back then, and it's now almost 2025, and you haven't heard about. <laughs> We're still, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, last thoughts. I'd stay up to date on your vaccinations. Uh, you know, keep an eye out for long-term symptoms after you're sick with COVID or any infectious disease and uh, seek that help and support where you can. The last thing I, I will also add is we have a ton of good information on our website. We've got more background information there. We've got lots of links to resources and support for folks, including clinics who have uh, providers who know what's up about long COVID. So please do check out those resources. And one last plug for testing. There is uh, the state of Minnesota currently still is sending free antigen tests to folks uh, on a monthly basis. So you can go to sayyeshometest.org and order those tests. Great, great. Well, you know, I thank you both. This is um, an ongoing subject. I hope that we can uh, put some of the information from the health department on our website so people have access to that information through another through another venue. I, I hope too that Kate and, and Jay, you'll be in contact with us with a simple email. Stan, we gotta do another podcast quick because we got some really good information that I think the public could really be, would be interested in. So we reserve that right one way or the other to to circle back to you on long COVID. With regards to vaccinations, I've been I've been reminding people to get vaccinated. People are spending more time, like they, like Jay had said, indoors now because it's starting to get a little cooler, which increases the the possibility of spread of illness. So now's a good time to get vaccinated. Cross check with your with your physician on flu, COVID, uh, RSV vaccination, and also pneumococcal vaccinations as well. I I do encourage you check with your with your your physician beforehand. With that, I would like to say thank you to everybody for listening to our show. Our next show will be on the cancer plan from the state of Minnesota. We talked about some of the various other plans, and now we're going to be focusing on cancer. That's the next show for Health Chatter. So everybody, keep health chatting away. <laughs>